Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Before we look at our sermon passage this morning, I also just wanted to uh, recognize that we have some special guests uh, with us, which uh, I say guests, but really it's more like extended family getting to worship with us this morning. So our bishop, uh, Bishop Clark Lowenfeld, and his wife, Tricia, are here, and so welcome. Uh, We're so glad to have you here this morning, and uh, he'll uh, help lead us in worship here in just a few minutes. And, uh, but I just wanted to say we're so glad that you're here, Bishop. Uh, if you're not familiar with having a bishop, the uh, best way to think about having a bishop is uh, who pastors the pastor, who pastors you, uh, he does. Um, and so this is a way of accountability, encouragement, uh, and support, not just for me, but for our entire church family. We're part of a larger family called a diocese and this Anglican communion around the world. And so, uh, so we're grateful for that. Um, I want to encourage you to open your Bible Uh, to Matthew chapter 5 this morning, those words of Jesus that I just read, Matthew chapter 5, looking specifically at verse 3 through 11, Matthew 5, 3 through 11. We are going through a series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm excited we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, these chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew from now until May. And so we're going to take our time. We're going to really immerse ourselves in these profound teachings of Jesus. We kicked that off last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that on our podcast. Kind of helps set the table for our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As I start, I just want to talk about uh, my family for a second. Our family loves to take road trips. Uh, we've gotten pretty used to taking road trips. It's something we do uh, on an annual basis. Uh, our families back in North Carolina, we take trips back there uh, at least once, sometimes twice a year. And on the 20-hour road trip uh, to North Carolina, um, you know, our, our, our kids are great, but they ask the proverbial questions, uh, how much further, you know, are we almost there? Um, and so I'm amazed that just at how gifted a parent my wife is, because the way she manages this is pretty incredible. Uh, she came up with this brilliant solution to kind of help us navigate uh, this as a family, and her solution was to bring this big bag of kind of candy and snacks and games that the kids love, and what she would do is she would tell the kids uh, to watch the dashboard clock, and every time it got to a certain time, she would let them pick something out of the bag of prizes. And so it made a huge difference because when you're traveling across the country and you can watch the clock and you know there's going to be a prize every 20 minutes, um, it makes a trip a lot more fun. And so, um, so the promise here of a future reward, in other words, transform the car ride for my kids and for our family uh, because they were content waiting. Right? They were content waiting because they knew for sure something good was coming. Uh, and I think that's true for all of us, isn't it? That's true for all of us in life. If we know something good is coming in the future, it changes how we see the present. 
For example, I wonder how it might change your perspective today if you knew tomorrow you were going to inherit $100 million tax-free, right? Because we all know how taxes work. Okay, so this is tax-free, $100 million. If you knew you were going to inherit that tomorrow, I wonder how it would change your perspective today. I wonder, for example, if you'd be less anxious about those bills that you're struggling to pay. I wonder if you'd feel less pressure to close that deal at work. I wonder if you'd be more generous, maybe to others, if you knew your financial needs were guaranteed to be met tomorrow. Maybe you'd be less stressed and more patient and kind to your spouse or your children if you could offload that financial burden, knowing that something good was coming. I say all that because Jesus begins his teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. Uh, it's, it's a word that means blessing. Jesus begins his teaching that we're going to look at over the next several months with blessing. And the temptation that we might have is to receive these blessings as demands, right? Be more like this, Jesus says. Be a better person. Here's the roadmap. And while the Beatitudes do ultimately ask something of us, they are primarily promises. Promises of what is to come. They are showing us what lies ahead. And what lies ahead is really, really good. And so I want us to shift maybe how we think about the Beatitudes. That we might think of the Beatitudes this morning as primarily promises, not demands. Promises from Jesus himself to his people. So this morning, through the Beatitudes, Jesus invites us to see our lives and tomorrow and next week and everything beyond that in light of his eternal promises. And if we can, if we can, I think it will transform how we see life. It'll transform the car ride that we're all on. I think like the Apostle Paul, we will learn to be content in all circumstances. So again, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I think it's important just to realize as we enter into these words of Jesus, uh, his teaching uh, on the Beatitudes, it comes after Jesus has been traveling around Galilee and he's been performing miracles. He's been giving these signs, these wonders. He's been specifically healing and delivering people. It's interesting, that's what bookends the entire Sermon on the Mount. He begins with healing and he ends with healing. And I think that helps us understand what's happening here on the mountain as Jesus teaches. Jesus' words to his disciples are words of grace. They're words of grace. He's been demonstrating that grace in powerful ways in people's lives. And now he's speaking words of grace over them. And so just as we heard in Deuteronomy 5, just as God gave the law to his people, he first delivered them from Egypt, right? He demonstrated his grace and his power to them. And so Jesus here demonstrated God's power to save, and now he speaks this sermon in light of his compassion and God's love for us. And he says these words, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall have mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here is an honest question, uh, and I mean that. This is an honest question. I think that the Beatitudes uh, force us to wrestle with. Is Jesus here just being mean, right? Is Jesus being cruel with these blessings? Is he being insensitive? I mean, let's just, we're so used to hearing these, I think we can miss this, right? Blessed are the poor? Even if you say blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the powerless. Does Jesus really mean what he's saying here? The Greek word blessed here could easily be translated congrats, right? Congratulations. Way to go. What good fortune for you. Blessed are you. And that's how it was used in Jesus' day. So that's clearly what he means here. So here's what I mean is Jesus being mean. Imagine on the way home today, you pull up to an intersection. We've all had this experience. And there's a homeless person standing there, someone who's living in abject poverty. And you roll down the window. And what you say to them is, congrats, way to go. You did it. That would be cruel. That would be mean, right? What if uh, you called up a friend today who's mourning? who's lost a friend or a family member, who's really mourning, and you said, hey, I just want to call and tell you congratulations. Blessed are you. There's something that should arrest us about what Jesus is saying that should make us say, wait a minute, I, I, I need to understand what you're saying here because something feels off. And so it's just Jesus just being mean. This is not what you typically congratulate people for. This is not what you typically bless people for. Not only that, it's not the way the world works, is it? Everyone knows the rich are blessed, not the poor, right? Everyone knows that those who are happy are, are, are not mourning. Those happy are blessed, not the mourning. Those who have power, not the meek, are blessed. Those who are filled, not the hungry and thirst, are blessed. Those who are safe and secure, not the persecuted, are blessed. Isn't that the way the world works? Jesus has it backwards, doesn't he? Isn't this backwards from the experience of our lives? This is not experience distilled from, from the wisdom of life. This is something weird. This is something other. At our previous church, uh, Langley and I, um, we, we wrote a kid's story, a, a little kid's book um, that we shared at Christmas one year. And it was a story about how Jesus came into the world. And I thought of it this week looking again at the Sermon on the Mount because the name of the, of the story that we wrote was Upside Downtown. And we wrote this story about Upside Downtown. And in Upside Downtown, everyone lives upside down. Living upside down is tricky, it's hard to do. Everything in the town was built upside down, right? Uh, they walked on their hands. Their furniture was nailed to the ceiling, 
<laughs> right? They had to explain away gravity. It caused all kinds of accidents. Things kept falling up for them because they were living upside down. People got terrible headaches from being upside down all the time. But for them, it was normal. So one day, a stranger came to town, and he was very strange. He was very strange because he lived right side up. He walked on his feet, and he stood on the ground. And slowly but surely, he graciously helped people see that they'd been living upside down. You see, Jesus' words here, they sound bizarre, but only because we're used to living upside down. Jesus doesn't have it backwards. We have it backwards. That's what he wants us to see. Scholar Dale Allison points it out this way. He says, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is revealing an amazing truth a promise, and this is it, that the evils and suffering of the present will be undone in the future, and the righteous will be rewarded. That's right side up. That's life in Christ. That's life in the kingdom, which is what Jesus is describing for us. These are the promises of the Beatitudes. So just real quick, I just want to highlight how this works itself out in the Beatitudes. And again, I'm, I'm taking this from Dale Allison in his great book on Sermon on the Mount, but he just points this out. So just real quick. So the present condition, poor in the spirit, what's the future promise? That you'll possess the kingdom. You'll have everything in Christ. Mourning, you'll obtain comfort. Meek, you'll inherit the earth. Desire righteousness, you'll obtain satisfaction. Merciful, mercy. Pure in heart, we'll see God. Peacemakers, be sons of God. Persecuted, possess the kingdom. Oppressed. Great reward. Future promises. This is ours in Christ. In part now and one day when we see him face to face in full. This is the promise, the promises of the Beatitudes. Now we're going to look more in detail at the, the Beatitudes themselves, the specific ones next week. But I just want to highlight a few things as we're kind of looking at this. So the answer to the question, is Jesus mean? No, he's not. He's actually the most loving, honest person you're ever going to encounter in reality. His words of blessing are based on a greater reality. And so he's inviting us into that reality, kingdom reality. So why is he inviting us into that reality? So I would say it's because Jesus wants to give us eternal hope in our present troubles. That's what he wants us to experience right now, right here today. Real hope, real hope in the midst of our troubles. Knowing we're blessed in eternity gives us hope in the present. I love how real Jesus is. I love how real he is. He is not here saying, look, everything's fine. Everything's good. Just pretend there's no such thing as suffering, right? Just have this pie in the sky, pie in the sky, positive thinking mentality. You hear that sometimes. Sometimes that gets bled into Christianity. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying pretend things are okay. Things are not okay. And he knows that. He knows how hard life can be. He's honest. He's real. He knows there will be times when we don't feel blessed. We do not feel blessed when we get a cancer diagnosis in our lives. We don't feel blessed. We don't feel blessed when our marriage or a friendship seems broken beyond repair. 
when we can't seem to break free of that besetting sin, when we lose hope of our difficult circumstances ever changing. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. You don't feel blessed because of your present circumstances. And if that's you, what I want you to hear this morning in Jesus' teaching is that you are, in fact, blessed. You are blessed, whether you feel blessed or not. How? How? How is that possible? Jesus says it's because of what lies ahead. It's because of what lies ahead. Jesus wants us to know that no matter what the score is in the game right now, we can be sure that in the end, his team will win the game, right? That you and I, who know Christ now, we know the victor, and we know the victory that will come. Now, that might sound kind of like, you know, cliche, sentimental hallmark kind of slogan. You know, just cheer up. It's all going to be okay, right? And it would be cheap and hurtful if the person saying what Jesus is saying was not Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus is God. He's the God of the universe. And so what he's offering us here is not the power of positive thinking. He's not reminding us of just good feelings that we can conjure up in the face of suffering. What he's actually reminding us of is that we have a sure and certain future in him. There's no open question here. The kingdom will come and Jesus will reign and he sits at the right hand of God today. So even in the face of suffering, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I mean, listen to these words. You can say these words. I can say these words because of who Jesus is and what he's done. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They are passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's the perspective Jesus is giving us in the Beatitudes. Eternal promises, eternal reality, so that they can end with rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for our reward is great in heaven. Jesus wants us to live now in light of the eternal hope that we have in him. He wants us to believe so deeply in his promises that it actually changes how we are living our life today. So confident, in other words, in our future with him that it shapes how we see the present. But here's the thing. Just knowing that, just knowing that isn't enough. Just knowing that isn't enough. And Jesus knows that, which is why uh, he, he, he not only speaks the Beatitudes, he lived the Beatitudes. He lives the Beatitudes, and then he gives a gift to us to empower us to follow in his footsteps. So that's the last point I want to make, is that Jesus walks the way before us, and he gives us the power to follow him. He walks the way in these Beatitudes before us, and he gives us the power to follow him, namely his Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just speak them, he embodied them. He was fully God, fully man. There's no hardship in this life that we know that he did not know. He was poor in spirit. He mourned in this life. He was meek, merciful, pure in heart. 
He was a peacemaker. He was hungry for the righteousness of God. He was persecuted, even to the point of death on a cross. The Beatitudes are not abstract ideas. They are gospel incarnate. They invite us to follow Jesus, the one who has walked this way before us. As a kid, uh, my dad would take my brother, who's three years younger than I, he would take us hiking a lot. He loved backpacking. We would spend uh, every summer going somewhere fun, from out west in California to the Smoky Mountains, and we loved going hiking with my dad. Now, my dad was too slow, in my opinion, as a 10 to 15-year-old. I wanted him to walk faster on the trail. So often when we'd set off, and usually it was on level ground to start with, I would charge out in front. I would be way out in front. But as the trail got harder, uh, I would fall behind. And he, with his steady pace, would take the lead. And as we went up the mountain, I can still close my eyes and I can picture this. I can see my dad a few hundred feet ahead of my brother and I on the trail, slowly and steadily making his way down the path ahead of us. And he would turn occasionally and he would call back to us, you can do it, keep going. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus has done. He's walked this way before us. And he's saying, keep going. You're blessed. Just keep going. Jesus wants to lead us and he wants to walk with us through our best and our worst moments. He loves us, and he wants us to hear him saying from the path ahead, keep going. Keep going. You can do it. I wonder if it would surprise you to know that the Beatitudes are among the most read and cherished passages of Scripture among the persecuted church around the world. I discovered that this week in something I was reading, and it made so much sense once I heard it. I wonder if they are as precious to us. Do we see them as words of grace that we desperately need to come back to again and again and again? Because we're people that are struggling in life and we need the Jesus who says, you can do it. Keep following me. When things are hard, it's easy to put our trust in other things in this world, to rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, our money, our success, our popularity. But what we need to make it through this life isn't found in us, and it's not found in the world. It's given to us. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the way. Put your trust in me. Follow my way, and you can make it. In fact, Jesus promised to give us the power to make it down that path. And not just a power, but a person, the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us. In John 16, Jesus promised his Holy Spirit that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide us into all truth, into life itself, life in Christ, life to the fullest, life of blessing. God has given his Holy Spirit his Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us to make it through. And so in the Spirit, we can live in light of these eternal promises we find in the Beatitudes. So just to review, Jesus isn't mean. Right? He's inviting us into a greater eternal reality, these promises of his kingdom. Jesus offers us eternal 
hope in the present troubles that we face in life. And Jesus walks the way before us and he gives us the power to follow him, his Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes are not demands as such. Neither are they wishful thinking or impossible dreams. They are a sure and certain blessing in Christ. They are words of truth and hope and grace. Christ gave us these words. Church, receive these words of grace. Receive this solace. Hear these promises of Jesus and know that whatever you are facing today, with him, you can make it through. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.